Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line K-I-N-Y. And good morning, everybody. You are listening to Action Line on this very, very cold Thursday. Joining me here in the studio, I have Representative Sarah Hannon coming to me just the week before the session starts. Representative Hannon, how are you today? I'm great, Jordan. It's a, you know, a glorious day. It's freezing our buns off, but of course, remember last week we were asking for some clear skies uh, and we want more snow and this is the kind of weather that will bring us that. That is certainly true, although I know that was very slick road conditions this morning early on. And I'm also very glad we had that conversation with CCFR yesterday so I could get all those very cold weather safety tips out there just so folks have that reminder. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you said, we're getting ready for the first week of session kicking up that session kicks off next week. This was the first week of session only staff. So over last weekend, a number of people are showing up in Juno and you know, through the grapevine. I don't actually know who the individual was, but it's an Alaskan from someplace else who had never been to Juneau, and they arrived on Friday when we were, you know, under cloud cover, and it was a a pleasant winter day back in the 40s last Friday with cloud and fog, and, you know, then our weekend came, and Juneau showing off with what our mountains look like in the bluebird blue sky days. And and now we're going to give them a little flavor of when we do wind in Juneau, we do it for real. And, uh, you know, this we, we haven't been below zero in a long time. So glad that we've got those weather tips out there to remind us we're still in Alaska. We can have real winter and we're going to have it for a few days. Oh, most definitely. Now, the first big thing I want to talk to you about is I know that you were part of a town hall that was held last night. So how did that go? It went great. Great. Um, Senator Keel, Representative Story, and I uh, like to always hold a town hall just prior to the session kicking off and hear from constituents. We had a nice turnout, a little over 50 people um, on a cold evening. And, you know, people come to share their concerns and thoughts and help give us guidance and, uh, you know, both there to hear what we think is going to happen or, you know, some opening comments, but then. Um, about an hour of questions from Juno Whites who want to share their thoughts about what we're doing and what we should be doing. Okay. And what were some of those big things that folks brought to your attention? Oh, I, I would say the things remain the same. Uh, they're, they're not... Um, they're not very they're, shifting. Yeah. I, you, we always start with uh, some budget updates because we've got a proposal from the governor, as we always do, end of December, middle of December, before the start of the session. Um, and what that means, where we'll get the money from, what our revenue forecast is. Uh, right now, the proposed, you know, the, the governor's proposed budget has us about a billion dollar shortfall um, between our revenue predictions and what his govern the the budget is. And um, you know, the term flat funding in that things aren't increasing, but in some areas. There's a decrease from the previous year because last year we uh, successfully included additional money for public school funding, the base student allocation, referred to as the BSA. Um, even though the governor vetoed some of that money, there was still additional money, but it was not written into the statute, right? So the governor went back to what the statute says, so zeroed it back out. So it is below the education funding right now is substantially below what we funded it last year because it's what the formula says not what we funded it at um, because we included money outside the formula Um, 
And as we know, in every school district in the state, there are financial struggles about in, impacts of inflation, right? Uh, you know, someone said last night, you know, we've, schools are the most expensive in Alaska than they are in the nation. We fund them the most. Well, yes, but everything in Alaska is the most expensive. You know, heating fuel, transportation costs, health care, and all of those are costs that school districts bear. Every state agency bears. So just directly comparing our costs to another state is somewhat erroneous because it doesn't give you uh, a reality of what that dollar buys, right? So, you know, whether it's your food lunch program, and, you know, if you're in a community in Alaska, and there are a lot of them, where milk costs $9 a gallon, your school lunch meals are more expensive than in somewhere in a dairy area where milk is cheap. Um, and goodness knows our heating costs in Alaska are high, and uh, they're not going to go down this year. And our health care costs and our insurance costs and on and on and on, let alone, and we haven't even touched on, wages and wages we are offering and comparing to other states, whether it's our law enforcement officers or our classroom teachers or our road maintenance, right? We can't compete right now. Public sector job wages are not seeming to compete very well with private sector jobs. DOT loses trained equipment operators to the private sectors on a very regular basis because they can earn more money. Gotcha. I think that is a very big concern when you're talking about, you know, really those cost of living things that are like, they're not, there's things that are going to take a lot more to really have change. You can't just be like, why are they like this? It's like, well, Alaska plays a lot of additional factors into that. So you have to naturally adjust all your rates for that. And so then it becomes a greater concern of, well, how can we, on a larger system, maybe try to reduce those costs? Right, right. You know, and everywhere in Alaska, um, I, sh I say that and then I go, except for Juneau. I mean, we have some of the l lowest energy costs in the state. But in general in Alaska, our energy costs are very high. And uh, in certain parts of the state, in the rail belt, in Anchorage in particular, they're facing an energy shortage and crisis within three years where uh, because Anchorage largely is on natural gas from Cook Inlet, um, to, you know, heat your home and generate the electricity for all the digital widgets that you turn on in your home. And the utility there has expressed that there is not enough gas from their contractors that they think in about three years. They won't be able to, on the coldest days of winter, they won't have enough gas to do both. And the options are a very steep increase in gas. I think we'll see a lot of dialogue this year in the legislature about how we crack that nut. And it's, it's not new, right? It's not a brand new problem, but uh, focusing on the ability to improve the delivery of energy costs across the rail belt in Alaska. You know, there is a transmission line that runs from Homer to Fairbanks, and then I think takes a turn and goes to the Delta Greeley area. But there are, I think it's 19 different utilities along that transmission line. Um, and so we've, they've both got to, we've got to work out how those utilities work together uh, so that if you're producing 
excess and let's say you put a wind farm in in Homer and are generating excessive energy, but the demand for it's in Fairbanks, that it can be transported along that you, that transmission line at still a reasonable rate. But right now, because we have all these different utilities owning that together, in most of the U.S., a transmission line system isn't owned by the individual utilities. You own this this 100 miles, we own the next 100 miles. Um, so there's a lot of things structurally that the government needs to intervene in and get worked out so that as we bring in alternative energy sources, renewable energy sources, wind, solar, uh, additional hydro, ground source, heat pumps, et cetera, et cetera, they can be shared along that quarter. Now, that doesn't do anything for us in Juneau. We're an isolated grid. Um, but energy it serves as an important example yeah and it's important for all of alaska right what when we if we can bring energy costs down in one place we can give more assistance in places where we can't bring them down at the same time working for isolated communities energy needs and reductions we're we've got to be looking at that and we always are but it's uh those are the kinds of problems that are hard to do in a legislative session in 121 days. There are longer-term solutions and problems. Gotcha. Now, there is another one I really want to hit, but we are actually going to have to move into our break. When we come back, I want to circle back to when you brought up the schools. I want to talk about education a little bit, and then we'll move into a few other topics. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And we are back with more Action Line on KINY. Joining me still here in the studio, I have Representative Sarah Hannon. Now, I know you probably won't be able to comment on this too much, but I did want to get your take on the Juneau School District has announced that it actually has a deficit of about a little over $9.5 million. Yeah. It, I mean, it's if we can use all the um, – it's shocking. It's heartbreaking. It's uh, a, a very challenging situation, um, and you know, both between our lack of funding, keeping up with, um, you know, we had a deficit from last year, and we kind of knew that, but there seemed to be some, um, you know, arithmetic errors. Uh, that's probably not the right word for accounting and auditing, but some fundamental math mistakes were made that led to uh, a new audit finance director being able to calculate that we are going to have over a $9 million deficit um, in six months remaining in a fiscal year. And the reality is that's virtually impossible to fix in that period of time. Um, You know, even with the most optimistic funding uh, hopes that we have from the legislature of increases to the base student allocation, it's not going to be enough to close that hole. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, I am sure that the Juno School Board, a duly elected body who's responsible for that budget, working with the Juno Assembly, a duly elected body that has the legal oversight of the school board, um, are you know they they are going to have to put all their heads together and still not have there's no optimistic outcome for this so it is going to be a very uh tough thing um because we're going to yeah yeah and that's why I'm also re- working on reaching out to the school board to have someone come in here and chat with me about that but 
did want to talk to yeah. you about that briefly. And they probably don't have answers yet because the problem is so newly discovered. Yeah. Yeah. So I still want to talk more about, about schools, not on that front anymore, but I don't know if I had a chance to talk with you about this topic because this was kind of a big thing toward the end of the year, which was our charter schools performed really well. Like they performed some of the best, they're some of the highest performing schools in the nation. And I thought that was interesting considering you look at some of our other education stats and some of our other sort of public schools aren't doing as well. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, first I want to just make sure um, we correct one vernacular use because our charter schools in Alaska are public schools, okay? Um, And charter schools are, by Alaska law, are part of the public schools, but they are formulated around a specific topic, theme, Passion, motivation. Um, the Juno Charter School, uh, I had when it started 20, 25 years ago, had uh, arts curriculum and a second language Spanish immersion component of it. Uh, I know in the Matsu Valley is one of the school districts that has a number of charter schools. A um, couple of them in, in Anchorage, there are a number of charter schools focused around language, so a Japanese immersion charter school. Uh, German immersion charter school. Um, and I think anytime you ha- say, I want to do, I want to focus on X, and everyone who is going to engage in this activity says, yes, X is my favorite thing, the motivation and focus to achieve is easier because. Everything is tied to the thing that you said you want to be most passionate about. It, it's not a surprise to people in education when that's the outcome. If you have, you know, <laughs> you don't want to do this, it, but if you had student-athletes being able to focus just on athletics, um, they have better out, you know, they, they may ex- succeed really well. But, of course, what we always say with athletics it, you know, universities and secondary programs. It's academics and then athletics. So it's actually not a great example. But if you chose one set of academics, but you don't want somebody who's just fluent in math, right, but has no reading skills. So you've always got to have a balance. But by uniting around a charter concept, additionally, there's always, there's usually in the charter some structural commitment of engagement in the community and families of when the Juno Community Schools uh, charter school started. Um, there was a certain number of hours that every family had to commit to volunteering at the school. So again, you've got this elevated level of engagement, which we know in any public school, when you have those things, you know, I always would advise kids or my friends whose kids were approaching high school, having some hook at school for them, whether it's um, the Ocean Science Bowl competition is their passion because they want to be a marine biologist, whether they're a band kid or a theater kid or a jock, having a hook that engages them in that place and commits them to it improves their success and all those other pieces affiliated with it. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that our charter schools perform better than their other grade normed peers, but it's sort of, you're scooping off the cream in the crop and, and, and saying, and now we're going to 
let you focus on that. In every school in Alaska, we have extraordinary kids uh, breaking the averages and the norms and performing at extraordinarily high levels to their normal, you know, grade-based peers. So, but when we talk about it, we talk about the collective average and how we're comparing in those. So it doesn't surprise people in education that charter schools on testing levels perform better. You've, you've narrowed the gap of engaged families, engaged kids, committed to a, to a goal. Right. And I think some of that discrepancy with, like, the view, the perception of the charter schools in the public schools is that sometimes in practice the charter schools to an outside observer can seem to not be like the public schools, even if on a, by paper definition they are. So I think that's where some of that discrepancy comes from. Yeah. And so that's why I always kind of want to have that conversation and be like, hey. Right. Well, one additional thing, uh, again, um, a charter school isn't accepting every child who walks through the door and needs an education, right? So whether it's they're full to capacity um, uh, by population or, you know, if it's a multi-grade class uh, uh, charter school that you only have room for fourth graders, especially let's, the language charter school immersions, you know, you, so you can do first through 12th grade in Japanese language in Anchorage. Well, you can't really walk in at sixth grade and not have the Japanese background, you could if you already spoke Japanese, but a kid who didn't can't enter at the sixth grade level and do their coursework in Japanese because those beginning foundational language years were one through five. So you keep honing and narrowing, and because your charter allows you to, uh, you know, and we don't frame it this way, but you're excluding other kids who would bring your scores down. They would not perform. A kid who had not had five years of that language exposure now taking the math test in the foreign language is not going to perform very well. And that would bring your scores down. But a regular public school accepts every child who walks through the door, whatever the background, whatever, the, whatever day of the year they walk through the door, right? That's what America in um, one of the foundations of a democratic republic, a constitutional republic, is that you've got to have an educated population. And so we provide a public education in the United States to anyone the day they walk through the door. And in fact, most states, mandatory attendance to either enroll your child in a homeschool program or walk your child through the door once you've gotten here. Uh, we want our populace to be educated. And it's, it's foundational to our freedoms to have an educated population. And I would say that it is true. It is fundamental that we need to have that educated populace. And that's, again, that's why I want this have that conversation. That's why it is very important. Now, my next sort of a, my next question for you is, what are some of you, your big priorities knowing that we're going into session next week? Um, boy, we, we've just got to get, get a jump on it. Uh, it's the second half of a two-year legislative cycle. Um, any bills that we want, policy changes we want to get changed, um, probably we're already in motion and we need to keep them moving. Education remains a high priority for both some policy changes um, as well as budget issues. I serve on the finance committee, so my lens is typically very focused on how we're going to fund it, how we're going to achieve that. Um, and we'll get going right away. Uh, it is 
an election year, so I don't expect that we will plan to go into overtime because that uh, runs up against those other things. It also means that you don't, you know, generally in an election year, you're not seeing really controversial, intense change. Like, I'm still an advocate for an income tax in Alaska. I realistically do not expect that we would get an income tax bill passed in a 121-day session. And we did not have any of our bills. We have bills on income tax. They didn't get any traction. They weren't moving last session. Um, in a 121-day session, it's pretty unlikely that they would pass. Nevertheless, the dialogues about our revenue dilemma remain. And, um, you know, we did pass a balanced budget last year. We did not draw out of savings for the first time in about a decade. We we funded an operating budget at the level that we had, but um, we did not spend a lot on capital budget. The current proposal has even less on a capital budget. We have across Alaska intense capital budget needs and we have operating costs. I don't, you know, certainly in, in the Anchorage area where they've experienced record snowfall, they think there should be more money in the DOT budget to do road maintenance and road plowing. Um, so I think we've got a lot of work ahead of us and we'll be ready to roll. Because the other thing is we started last year with a whole crew of freshmen that were uh, needed to learn the ropes and they'll, they're, they're second half of the year freshmen now. So they know how it works. They know better how it works. Um, I do want to talk about the fact that the assembly building department complex for the legislature has opened. We have people staying in it. And um, for many of our people who transition their lives from somewhere else to Juneau for the legislative session, um, I've heard from a couple of people already who've spent a night or two there and they're thrilled. That project came in on time, on budget, furnished, sheets on the bed, um, Dawson Construction, amazing commitment, worked their crew through the nights the last month or so to make sure that we were op open for those people who arrived this week. And um, Jessica Geary and um, Serge Lesh at the Legislative Affairs Agency uh, uh, carried an immense burden to deliver that. And um, I had a walkthrough last week. The, the apartments have turned out lovely. People are very pleased with them. And um, the Juneau Community Foundation's commitment to assuring the capital city is here. And um, it's, it's truly a lovely building. Gosh, well, on that, we will have to wrap it up. Representative Hannon, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you, Jordan. Look forward to seeing you at MLKD on Monday, perhaps. I will do my best. Okay. Do best. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. KINY.